heard uh, David Barton. Some of you might be familiar with him. He's from Wall Builders. He's a historian, Christian historian, researcher, written a lot of books, done a lot of research. And he, I haven't verified this statistic, but he said that of the 384,000 churches in America, 75% of them don't believe in the basic foundations of Scripture. And I, like I said, I didn't verify that, but it was sort of a shocking thing to consider that we live in not just a lost world, but the church is in that same boat in this nation. So anyways, listen to these words about the parables. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that um, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, that your heart is to seek and save the lost. Lord, this morning as we consider these two parables, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just give us that same burden that you have for the lost. Lord, I just pray for your anointing on this word. Lord, that you would renew our passion to to reach out to those who need you and to be quick to repent when we find ourselves in that sinner's place. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love it. When we come to scriptures we're familiar with, you guys have heard these before, right? The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Next week, you've heard of that one even more. That's the parable of the lost son, right? And as we look at these parables, as we prepare the ground for really the the accumulation of Jesus' teaching, uh, at least in, um, in this area, as we look at these uh, couple of parables, we need to remember why. Why is he telling us this? Where did this all start? Remember, if you can 
track with me that Jesus uh, got invited to the Pharisee's house. Yeah, we remember? And then, uh, which was not an uncommon occurrence. Here's one of the interesting things we learn about Jesus. He went where he was invited. If the Pharisees invited him, he went to the Pharisee's house. And he sat down and he took opportunity. If, if a sinner invited him, he went to the sinner's house. If, uh, if the tax collector invites him, you guys heard of Zacchaeus. We've talked about that, right? He's coming up a couple chapters. If Zacchaeus, yep, Jesus goes where he's invited. And he takes those opportunities. But there's something that happens in, in every one of those places. Every time, every place where Jesus visits and stops. And everywhere where the gospel's trying to, to affect our lives. And, and everywhere that the, the word of God is going out. We have prejudice. Can you imagine such a thing? There's at least a third of us who are saying, well, I don't have no prejudice. You're probably the most prejudiced of all of us. Everybody's got a group they just can't connect with, right? In the Bible, it's scribes and Pharisees versus tax collectors and sinners. For us, maybe it's the other way. Maybe we're the tax collectors and sinners, but we can't deal with the scribes and the Pharisees. And I think one of the points Jesus is making, certainly in this, in, in our connection in this context, is that when someone repents, rather than grumbling, there ought to be what? Joy. Ought to be joy. We ought to be able to rejoice in the, in the reality that the family of God is growing because one of the main scriptures, if I had to pick one scripture out of Luke, It'd probably be Luke 19.10. I'd say this is what the gospel of Luke is about. Luke 19.10 says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. How many were lost when he came? Yeah, okay, so we, we get it, right? But you, you understand how, depending on what category we put ourselves in, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, we divide, we spend all of our time dividing ever since the Tower of Babel. You guys remember the story of Tower of Babel, Genesis 10? You have mankind, one language, one purpose. What is man's one purpose in Genesis 10? To rebel against God. So we've got that part down pretty good. All of man gathered together, one purpose, rebellion against God. So God says, look, as long as man's united like this... His, his, he, he, he's going to, he's got himself headed down the wrong road. That's not going to change. So, he disinherits the nations. And he confuses the tongue. And so people began to gather according to the languages that they understood. Right? They looked at them, other people that were speaking gibberish. And they said, what in the world? Five minutes ago, you were saying the same thing I am. And now... You know, what you're saying makes absolutely no sense. And man has been dividing ever since. Jesus Christ came and he brought the gospel and the good news of salvation. And as he, as he establishes the church, as he brings forth the power, the truth of his word, he then says, now we can all be unified under this banner. 
under the banner of Christ. And then when we climb under the banner of Christ, we spend all our time trying to divide ourselves again. Because that guy's weird. That guy's got funny looking hair. You guys ought to all be blessed and my wife stop me. <laughs> this morning. You never know what I'm going to do. If, if you see any pictures of the bike ride yesterday, you, you have some idea of what I had in store for the church this morning. But I don't know how to braid my own beard, so I couldn't do it myself. So, <laughs> so this morning I woke up, and I'm in the bathroom, and Kathy goes, Don't you really want to trim that up? And I said, Do you want the beard back? And she said, Never mind. <laughs> we all got our hang-ups, right? Uh, maybe I come to church and I'm in flip-flops or, or somebody else is or somebody, you know, whatever. Whatever our thing is. And we let that thing be that which divides the, the body of Christ. And then we start grumbling about it. We start going, oh, did you see them? Oh. They, they wore flip-flops to church. Or they sat in my seat. What are they doing sitting in my seat? I've been sitting in this seat for the last nine years. This is my seat. Right, whatever. We got lots of stuff, right? Or maybe it's just we think, you know, we know somebody from across the church. We don't really know, but we think we know them and we, we don't like them. Because of what we think. We let all that stuff divide us. And then we are exactly where this story begins, if that's us. Right where this story begins in verse 1 and 2. Look what it says. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So you got two groups. We're going to see the other in the next verse, right? Scribe, Pharisees, tax collectors, sinners. I don't care what, how you do it. You call them Republicans and Democrats. C- conservatives. Liberal. It doesn't make any difference. One was an outcast of society. You know, the, in, the, the people who had the power at the time... In the time of Jesus Christ were the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the power in Israel. And whoever didn't fit in that group were tax collectors and sinners. Do you get it? So the tax collectors and sinners, they're like coming. And if you remember last week, we talked about the cost of discipleship, right? And, and the fact that when we follow Jesus, it, it costs us something. Things get sacrificed, yes, as we follow the Lord. And now as he's teaching this, you have tax collectors and sinners, people who aren't in the power group, who are coming forward to follow Jesus. They're coming up and they smell funny and they look funny and they do things funny. And the, and the scribes and Pharisees who are there hearing the same message... And I don't know whether or not their heart is to follow or not follow. We certainly know some did, don't we? We're going to meet them at the cross, right? So, so they look over and they see these tax collectors and these sinners drawing near. And it says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Oh, he even takes those people. Right? He even takes them. This man receives sinners. He even eats with them. Remember, in a Middle Eastern culture, to eat with somebody was to really uh, share in who they were and what they were about. We understand that Paul later on is going to say, hey, don't even eat with a man who calls himself a brother and is living in sexual immorality. He says, don't eat with him. 
And we, in our world, we're like, that's weird. Well, in their world, that was a little different. In their world, eating with somebody was saying, hey, man, I, I want to be united with you. I, I want to, to be together. I, I want you and me, we can, we can make this thing work. It was a real idea, picture of communion. And so they're saying, Jesus eats with sinners. Well, of course he does. What kind of sinners comes to Jesus? The ones who do what? How do you come to Jesus? What do you have to do? Repent. So I'm a sinner and I repent. That means I've done what? Changed my direction. So you may still call me a sinner. And I may still know I'm a sinner, right? Because I still have problems. But God says, I'm not that in his eyes. Do you get that? That when we repent... All Jesus says, remember Revelation chapter 3, it says, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, what does God say? I'll come into you and sup with you. I'll eat with you. I want to be connected with you. Because the moment you've repented and you said, You know what, once my worldview was like this, but I'm turning away from that and I'm turning to Christ. And I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm, I, got, I got issues. You got issues. We all got issues. But here's the thing we got in common. I'm turning away, saying, I don't want this old way anymore. I want Christ. So I want to learn Him. I want to know Him. I want Him to affect my life. I want Him to change my life. So I may come as a sinner. I may come as a homosexual. I may come as a sexually immoral person. I may come as a liberal or a conservative, a tax collector or a Pharisee. But if I've repented and I cried out to the Lord, He says, you open the door, I want to eat with you. I want to sup with you. I want to know you. And I want you to know me. But you see the one group, the other group, you could just as easily flip it. I promise you every sinner that walked up didn't go, oh, look at the Pharisees. So great to have them here. Right? You don't think that, do you? The tax collector sees a Pharisee looking down his nose at him. Don't, don't you think it goes both ways? <clears throat> it's a human condition. But listen, please hear me. Jesus died to save us from the human condition. Not to excuse our human condition. He died to save us from it. He lays out these teachings for us so that we can look at these teachings and we can say, gosh, Lord, I've had that attitude. I've grumbled about someone who's different than me who's come to Christ. I grumbled because someone... So Jesus is going to teach two parables. One today, the the lost sheep, lost coin, our... United together under the title, Jesus taught them a parable, singular. And then the next parable we'll be looking at is the lost son. Both of them, what happens at the end? What was the attitude of those after they find the sheep, find the coin, find the son? Rejoicing. Do you get it? He's saying, this should be the attitude, not that. And all the way through, please understand, all the way through, leading up to the cross, we even have the disciples doing this, don't we? You remember earlier, the disciples were like, Hey, Jesus, some of, some of John's disciples are out baptizing. 
Or John's disciples. John, Jesus' disciples are out baptizing. We get in a competition. We drive by a church and we think, I think there's more cars in our parking lot than theirs. <laughs> we ought to pray, Lord Jesus, fill them all. Fill them all and may God, may your spirit move in pastors and teachers to teach the word. Not our, just what's the word say? That's why things like living by the book are so important. Because the word, if the word of God is not our fundamental authority, then nothing is. Anything goes. Last couple of, oh, I don't know, it's, it's probably been a long time. There's a, there's a pastor, I won't, I probably should name him, but I won't. That um, of late has declared that we don't need a Bible. Well, then what do you, what, what do you teach? Is it, is it, where's our, where's our foundation of truth? Jesus said about the word of God, <coughs> sanctify them, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We don't need that anymore. Lord, have mercy. Man, we need that. We need God's word to affect how we look at this. I don't want to be a grumbler. I don't want to have this attitude. I don't want to, I want to recognize that God rejoices when people come to him. All kinds of people. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what's amazing? Some people come to the Lord, they're even uglier than you when you came. Huh? That's not possible. It is. Really. Really. We want to have an attitude that rejoices. So Jesus says, I told them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? One of the first things he teaches in this is the value of the lost. Don't lose that. What is Jesus is saying, look, you guys are grumbling about it, but listen, there's value to the lost. The lost matter to God. And every story, the value is going to increase. First, it's one in a hundred. Then it's one in ten. Then it's one in two. The value, it's, it's always increasing. The Lord is saying, man, I, the loss is something that matters to God. <coughs> in fact, Luke 19.10 said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Man, they matter. They matter. So what's he saying? I've lost one. I've lost one. He's not here no more. Now, a sheep out in the wild doesn't stand much of a chance. If you've hunted in Idaho somewhere where they've been out with sheep, I guarantee you have found a pile of wool somewhere. Yeah? Wolves, coyotes, something gets a sheep. There's no... The sheep don't growl. Get away. It's not going to drop its fangs. Doesn't even have smelly tail. It can shoot stinky stuff at people. Nothing. Sheep's got nothing. But white fur, really easy to grab. Off on its own, sheep don't make it. So the shepherd loves the sheep enough to say, I'm going to find him. I got one missing. 
I got one missing, and I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go find him. And so he leaves, and he searches. And the word here he lays out for us, he's going to go after the one that is lost. It's a, it is a, the, a word that means intense. And intense, I'm going, I'm, I'm not stopping until I find him. There's a poem called The Hound of Heaven. You know, I'm thankful that the Lord is the hound of heaven. Because I was a little lost lamb once. I was a lost coin. I was a lost son. And the God of the universe who, who came across that incredible chasm from divinity to humanity, he wanted me. It's not some kind of corporate thing where God doesn't really know you. It's No, God wanted you. He, he wanted to find you. <clears throat> Whatever it took. So he came down all the twisted back alleys and all the crazy places that you've been, all the places where you, you hid in your sin, and God hunted. And he came to find, to seek, and to save. And when he found me, I was just like the whore in the story of Hosea. See, God said to Hosea, Hosea, go take a, a, a bride, a, a prostitute as your bride. So Hosea did. And she was unfaithful. And she left. She went off with the highest bidder. She found somebody who would take better care of her than he did, although she had children by Hosea. She leaves. And then the Lord says to Hosea, this is what Israel's done to me. She's gone after her lovers, all these other things. She's lost. And a series of prophecies that Hosea is going to give out. But in chapter 3 of Hosea, the Lord says, Hosea, go get your wife back. So he goes to find her. Now we don't know how how much time has passed, but enough time has passed for her to be wore out. And nobody wants her now. Nobody's taking care of her. Nobody cares about her. If you want to picture what that looks like in your mind, you know, living in a gutter in a back alley someplace. She owes someone money, so they're turning her out to the street, saying, hey, you know, go make me some money. And Hosea finds her. And he buys her back. He pays off her debt. And he brings her home. And then God says, that's what I'm going to do for you. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now it doesn't matter if you're the whore in the story of Hosea. Or you're the wealthy socialite. We're still in the back alley And God's still looking for us. We're just bound to other things. Different sin. But it's still those things that would separate us from God. And God will do everything. Everything to come and find. To come and gain. To to get a hold of us. Look what it says. He he goes until he finds it. Verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. What's the word? Rejoicing. 
Do you know what I do when, when I have to go look for my dog? Then none of you ever had to do that before? I got an amazing dog. They're always amazing when they're a puppy. She's amazing. But every once in a while, my amazing dog gets a thought in its own mind to go do something. And doesn't ask me first. Just goes. And then I go outside, you know, and I'm looking around. And I'm calling her. And I'm thinking, you dumb dog, where'd you go? Where are you at? Now, I'm pretty soon, I'm stomping my feet. That never happens to you guys, right? And, I'm, and, I'm, and my voice is getting a little louder. And because I'm, I'm, reality is I'm worried, you know, you get on the wrong road. And th- then I'm, this is a whole different category of things going on, right? So I'm hollering and stomping my feet. And then when I, when I find her, I'm, I'm happy. Part of me is happy. And the other part of me just wants to beat the snot out of her. <laughs> But what does it say when God finds us? He picks us up and he rejoices. When, from the time I was 16 to the time I was 18, I totaled eight cars. So I don't, I don't care what kind of bad uh, high school drivers you've had in your life. I can trumpet. My father once, well actually on more than one occasion... My dad bought a new car, and before he could get plates on it, I totaled it. More than once. And you think, why in the world would your dad give you the keys? Because he didn't want to take me wherever I was going. And it always would go like this, Dad, I just got to take Kathy home. I'm going to take her home, I'll be right back. I'll be right back, everything will be fine. And he would go, what are the odds? He's already totaled seven cars. Could he really do it again? (laughs) And he'd throw me the keys. And the cops would bring me home. (laughs) I totaled cars all over the place. And one one night, I got this crazy idea that I was going to sneak out. None of you kids ever do this, I'm sure. I'm going to sneak out, and I'm going to take Grandma's car. Grandma was living with us, and I kind of like, Grandma had a Dodge Dart. It was not totally lame. It was kind of cool. It was definitely way cooler than the station wagon my dad had. And my car was totaled already, so I couldn't take it. So I get Grandma's car, and I climb in it, and I'm thinking, I think, I can't believe how stupid I was, but I'm thinking, I'm going to put it in neutral, and I don't want to start it and back out, because it'll wake Mom and Dad up. If you're stealing a car, you can't start it. you got to push it away from the house a little bit. <clears throat> That's what I thought. So I got in the car, put it in neutral. Here's where everything went a little sideways. The keys were still in my pocket. You think, how can you put it in neutral? Well, this is a long time ago, guys. There were not the kind of restrictions you have nowadays. I put that thing in neutral, and I pushed and I'm going out past mom and dad's station wagon. And it's getting a little close, so I grab a steering wheel and turn it. And it goes, click. <laughs> the driveway's downhill. So uh, it actually, I, I actually kind of jump out of the car. 
and, and then just go, oh, oh. <laughs> and it goes down the driveway and scrapes all the way down my dad's stage line. <laughs> until it can't move anymore. <laughs> so they're stuck together now. <clears throat> well, if, if I was afraid that the start in the car was going to wake up my mom and dad, I'm pretty sure that the sound of two cars being destroyed in a driveway would do the job. So I take off. That's it. I, I'm leaving. I can't live here no more. That was, my, that was my moving out day. I just took off running. Now my shoes are in the car. So I'm barefoot. I'm in Ukaipa. We take off running. And I'm pretty sure that everybody's behind me. Every light I see is somebody trying to catch me. So I'm diving in bushes and I'm diving in, in, in creeks and I'm diving. I'm hiding. I'm working my way. And I get... I don't even know how far away from home I got. A, I was a long ways away. I was probably two or three in the morning by the time I said, you know what? I'm cold. <laughs> My feet hurt. I'm all bloody from every time I dove into some ditch or jumped in a bush. So I'm all the way down by the freeway. At, um, you know, I don't know. I'm probably seven miles from home. And I turn around and I say, I'm going to... I'm going to go back. How bad could it be? <laughs> <coughs> so I'm walking back. <coughs> what I don't know is mom and dad didn't wake up when the cars crunched. But eventually they did. Grandma woke up. Oh, that's right. I forgot I stole money out of her wallet because you can't just take a car. What do you mean, oh? <laughs> you can't. You can't just take a car. You might run out of gas someplace. I don't got no money. So I stole money out of from Grandma's purse. And then I crunched the car and ran off. And so Grandma, Grandma didn't care about the car. She woke up and was looking at her wallet. I don't know why. And she's like, somebody stole my money. So she went and woke up my dad. Somebody stole my money. And my dad's probably thinking, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard of. He says, nobody stole your money. He gets up, goes outside. Cars are crunched. Starts to think, maybe somebody stole your money. <laughs> so dad started looking for me. I don't know how long dad, I was gone a long time. You know, so I don't know how long he looked, but I know he found me about three in the morning. I'm walking in the middle of the road on the stripe because my feet hurt. I'm barefoot and the stripe is the smoothest place I could find to put my feet. So I'm walking on the stripe in the middle of the road, in the middle of the night. Here comes Dad. Oh, here we go. Here we go. He come up, runs up to me, puts his arms around me and says, I love you, son. That's a pretty incredible moment. Yet that pales in comparison to what Jesus does when he finds you. Because I don't deserve any of that. He needed a bigger pipe to hit me with. (laughs) But you see, Jesus, when he finds the lost, he picks them up, puts them on his shoulders, and he rejoices. I thought you were lost. Now you're found. You're with me. That's what God does. And we, 
individually are just as guilty as I was, just different stuff. Maybe that wasn't your thing. Maybe you never did anything like that. But trust me, you've offended the God of the universe. You're guilty before Him. And He doesn't show up with a stick to beat you. To yell at you, to scream at you. He shows up, scoops you up in His arms and says, He rejoices. What was lost is found. I have you. You're mine. And I've crossed the chasm of the universe to find you. He lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. But not only that, when he comes home, look what it says. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. So he's gathering together all the ones who have been with him. (coughs) All the family of God. All the part of the kingdom of God. All those for whom God has gone out and rescued just like that. He calls them and he says, guys, I found what was lost. I found what was lost. Come, celebrate with me. So he wants all those who were lost and have been found, all who were blind and now see, all who are part of the family of God, to come together and rejoice, yet another one has been found. That's the attitude. But the scribes and the Pharisees were grumbling. The disciples grumbled. We grumble. But Jesus is saying, this is the attitude. Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Then Jesus said, just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous. It's cool. All that's good. But the best part? is when something or someone who was dead becomes alive. That far outweighs the righteous 99. And he's saying, I want the righteous 99 to celebrate with me. Scribes and Pharisees, you should be celebrating. Because the sinners are coming. They're, They're... They're coming together in faith. They're they're coming to walk and follow in discipleship. The lost have been found. Rejoice with me because all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven shouts out. All of heaven is screaming with joy over one person who repents. So whenever we've repented and we've turned to the Lord, if you could only see the streets of heaven celebrate then you would understand how valuable you are to God. You matter. There's no such thing as insignificance before God. There are only the significant. We see this value in the care of the shepherd. Psalm 23.1 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 95, 7. He is our God. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. He is the shepherd. Psalm 103. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Over and over again, the Scripture declares, God's a shepherd. And a sheep that's lost, He's going to find. In fact, He tells us about it. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. Listen, this is God speaking. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. Not the same thing? As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered <clears throat> on a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's a picture like a storm comes in. This is a, it's like a painting. The prophet is painting, right? The shepherd's out with his flock. Storm comes in, thunders, you know, gets a little scary, and the sheep all scatter. And then the Lord God is saying in Ezekiel 34, I'm going to find them. I'm going to go everywhere where they've been scattered. I'm going to rescue them. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them into their own land. God's saying, I'm going to bring you to a place you belong. Every human being on the face of the earth is looking, where do I belong? Where do I fit? And the shepherd of Israel in Ezekiel 34, our great God and King says, I've got a place where you belong. It's called the kingdom of God. That's where you belong. That's your home country. In fact, often the scriptures of prophets will speak of it as Zion. Oh, wait till you see Zion. Super high mountain. That's not Jerusalem, just so you guys know. <clears throat> Oftentimes it's illustrative of, of Jerusalem future, right? Not this one. But one day when the king of kings is there, man, it's going to be such a place. That's where we belong that's a place where we belong in our own land and i will feed them on the mountains of israel by the ravines all the inhabited places of the country i will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of israel will be their grazing land they shall lie down in good grazing land and rich pasture they will feed on the mountains of israel god's saying it's a place where you'll be comfortable where you belong <coughs> Well, you'll be able to lay down. Not stress out. Nothing quite like getting a chance to go away and go hunting, even when it's a lousy hunting trip. In terms of getting something, which is every hunting trip I've almost ever been on. But there's nothing like getting out on the mountain and then starting to work your way down and then finding some... Special little treasure that you never knew was there. Going over and sitting down on a log and watching a squirrel run around and crickets play because nothing else is making any noise. And you just sit there and are amazed at the beauty that you found in the middle of nowhere. And it's so peaceful you can just lie down. And you might as well. Because there's no elk there on that mountain anyway. <laughs> the Lord's saying they'll be able to lay down. You'll be able to relax. You'll be able to chill out. Here's what the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. <clears throat> That's our shepherd. John chapter 10, Jesus declared, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Yeah. 
This is the story. This is the attitude that God wants us to change. He wants us to see. He wants us to celebrate one another. We're supposed to be unified in a church, no? Didn't the Lord say, this is how I'm going to know, people will know you are my disciples? Because of the way you're going to love each other, not the way you're going to fight. It doesn't mean we can't sit down and wrestle through Scripture. That's fun. I like that. But when I'm done... That's still my brother. Even if he doesn't agree with me, that's okay. I've told you before, I don't mind when people want to be wrong. I'll let them be wrong. <laughs> but I'm not going to divide over it. I'm not going to say, you know what, I just, I, I can't. You can't be my brother because you actually think Jesus made wine. Well, surely everyone knows he made grape juice. You ever heard people have that argument? Now, you should have been in the church I grew up in. That was a heated one. Right? Does it matter? No. We can, we can wrestle over that stuff. But we're not going to divide. Because Jesus saved me just like he saved you. He picked me up and put me on his shoulders and he carried me out. That's what, uni- that's what unifies Jesus. Jesus is our unifying. Verse 6, it says, When he comes home, he calls his friends together and says, Rejoice, come, celebrate my sheep that was lost. Look at verse 8, it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Same exact parable. Just the values increase, right? One in a hundred to one in ten. And she's lost something, and she's going to make sure she finds it. So she gets everything out. She moves everything she can move. She turns over all the couches until she finds it. And when she found it, look what she does. Same thing. When she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. The coin that was lost is found. Don't you see that that's the attitude that Jesus is looking for from the from the body rejoice because even the angels in heaven do right even the angels in, the angels rejoice jesus rejoices and the pharisees are grumbling so one of these things doesn't belong right god wants us to understand that he wants us to rejoice in acts 11 verse 18 it says <clears throat> when they heard these things They're being told the story of Cornelius. Cornelius, who's a Gentile who just got saved. Before that, it was all Jews. Now they let them dirty Gentiles in. Oh no. So they heard the story, it says, and they fell silent. And then it says, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, there was a division there too, right? Jew and Gentile. Paul would go so far as to say, look, there's not man, woman, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. There are no divisions between people. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We all get saved the same way. We all get scooped up and put on the shoulders. There's nobody who should be proud about how Jesus picked them up. There's nobody who should glorify in the color of the alley they were in or how dirty the ground was. It doesn't make any difference. We all got saved the same way. Jesus came in. 
He didn't beat us with a rod. He scooped us up. He put us on his shoulders and he saved us. And all of heaven erupted and rejoiced and celebrated. The Jews learned to celebrate when the Gentiles got saved. The scribes and the Pharisees learned to celebrate when the tax collectors and sinners got saved. We need to learn to celebrate. We need to see the value God puts on the lost. Yes? Do we know there's a lot of lost people out there? For the most part, guys, lost people aren't going to come in here. A lost person doesn't wake up and go, what do you want to do today? It's Sunday. Let's go to church. No, a lost person doesn't do that. Unless you call them. And a lost person says, what you doing today? I'm going to go to church. You want to come? No, I'll be over in five minutes pick you up. That's the best way to get a lost person in church. If you're hoping to just come to church and they're going to magically walk through the door, I'm sorry. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he said, come follow me. That's how we do it, right? Seek and save what was lost. And all of heaven rejoiced. Look at verse 7. We saw it earlier. There will be more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over the 99 righteous. Now look at verse 10. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Two stories, one parable. You're lost. Jesus saves you. All of heaven rejoices. That should be our attitude. That should be the way that we see things. That should be the way that we understand. That should be our attitude as well. In 1 Peter 1.12 it says that it has been revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things which have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent through heaven. All these things, the gospel, the things that are preached to you, the transformation of lives, and then look what it says. Things into which angels long to look. The angels, there's no salvation. You guys are a whole new thing to them. Angels don't change. If an angel was fallen, what did it become? A fallen angel. You don't have a fallen angel that becomes unfallen. Two sides. When that moment came for the heavenly host to choose, they chose. And the lost are the lost, and the elect are the elect, and nothing changes. So the Bible says angels love to look at this salvation, which we experience, because they get to see God go out, find a sinner, transform their life, bring them into the family of God. And they are blown away. And they're so blown away that all heaven erupts with joy. When one sinner is transformed because they don't see it in their realm. Angels desire to look into it. They don't experience it the same way. So they, they see that transformation in your life as a miracle they don't want to miss. <laughs> Psalm 126, 5 and 6 says this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears. You always had to sow in tears. Because anytime you sow, you're taking part of your harvest and putting it back in the ground, right? 
which means some of this I'm putting back in the ground. I have no guarantee I'm going to get anything back. So we sow in tears. Jesus, when he told the parable of the sower, I think the parable of the sower sows in tears too. He goes out with the seed of the word of God and he sows it. And hopefully there will be a harvest. But is there a guarantee? In in the parable of the sower, three out of four didn't bring back any harvest, right? So we sow in tears, but we shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. But when there's a harvest, what happens? All of heaven rejoices. There's joy unexpressible. The harvest is a reward of rejoicing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, listen to Paul. Paul said, What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Isn't it you? You know you're the prize? The harvest is the prize. The rejoicing that comes as soon as as we respond, as soon as we repent, as soon as we cry out upon His name. Luke chapter 10 verse 20 says, Nevertheless, the disciples are talking about all the miracles they saw and all the great things they saw. What did Jesus say to them? Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written where? In heaven. Your names written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Each parable, value increases. Each parable has a part of the parable that looks to the grumbling and the bad attitudes of those around. And Jesus pointing out, don't be like that. Be like heaven who rejoices. And then be like your Savior. Your Savior who came down the dirty alley for you. Like my father driving all around town. I could have went anywhere. But he drove until he what? found me. Why? That's what a dad does. And the scripture says, that should be our attitude. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. May we have that attitude. Seek and save what is lost. There are knuckleheads just like me, walking out on the street, all all out of spunk, broken, looking for hope. Bring it to them. And when they scoop it up, rejoice. Just like the angels in heaven. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to delve in. God, I pray that our heart would be to know you. I want to know you, God. I want to I be like you. I want to have the attitudes that you have. I don't want to have a grumbling heart, an angry heart, a disappointed heart. and I don't want to have the, <clears throat> the attitudes that can develop where I look at someone else and I think, they're not worthy. Uh, they're not worthy of the gospel. They're not worthy of salvation. They're not worthy of me reaching out. Man, my God came so far for me. And today, I'm your hands and feet. So God, may we... Leave the ninety and nine and find the one. May we, when we drop the coin, turn over everything in the house till we find it. May we have the attitude of our Savior who said, 
I have come to seek and save. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Give us a heart willing to reach out. Give us a desire to see your Holy Spirit empower us so we might see transformed lives and the hosts of heaven celebrating. Let us not be like scribes or Pharisees or people outside of our group looking in or or whatever, vice versa, having an attitude that is grumbling. God, I just pray that you would, you would use us as vessels to bring salvation to the lost, to bring the message of Jesus Christ. He scooped me up. And he'll do the same for you. And all man has to do is repent. All man has to do is to cry out on their Savior and say, God, save me. Lord, move, work in my life. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you. Acts 3, repent therefore and turn back so your sins could be blotted out. Acts 8.22, repent therefore the wickedness of yours and pray the Father. If it's possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Acts 11, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God and celebrated that God had granted repentance. Acts 17, times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere, repent. And there he is. The moment of our repentance. The direction has changed. We were running down a road in the wrong way. And finally we just run out of strength. It doesn't matter why we want to turn around. <coughs> All that matters is we did turn around. And it's right then when our Father in Heaven will find us on the road. And He'll jump out of the car and He will throw His arms around you. And say, all heaven rejoices over one sinner who changes his direction. God, make us tools. Tools of the king in the hands of the king. Lord, this morning, if there's anybody here has not made that confession of the Lord has not stood and said, Jesus is my King, my great God and Savior, has not stood in repentance, then I pray as we continue in worship, Lord God, that uh, as we have prayer counselors up here, someone just come up and ask them, hey, I need to be saved. They'll help you. We don't make it complicated. God, I just want to see your spirit move through our body. I want to see your spirit move through Buell and Castleford and Filer and Twin Falls and all the surrounding areas, God, that people get saved and churches fill up and the direction of this world that we live in changes because we, your people, took your word seriously. God, be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.